Hey, bestie. Welcome to the first episode of Truth or Delina with your host, Delina. To give you a little context before we jump in, I'm a 21-year-old girl from Canada. My pronouns are she, her, I'm queer, and I'm a person of color. From my personal experiences, and eventually I'll have some guests come to chat as well from their different backgrounds, we are going to talk about how dating your 20s fucking sucks. As you can tell from the title in the intro, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory to say that dating your 20s is a very confusing time of our lives. It's a bit of a burning dumpster fire if I were to describe it as one thing because no one knows what they want. Um, We're all trying to figure out who we are in terms of career, traveling, lifestyle, People are hooking up. People want relationships. People are on dating apps. People are flirting with friends. People are flirting while they're in relationships. And there's just so much going on right now. And it seems that it's hard to find people that align with us in terms of what we want, if we even know what we want in the first place. On top of all of the struggles that surround the environment in which we can breed relationships in this generation. There's also all of these rules when it comes to communication. That is a bit vague, so I guess I'll elaborate a little bit in terms of that. Obviously, there's um, methods of communication in terms of just meeting people organically, such as at the workplace, at your job. That's the same thing. Um, Meeting somebody at the grocery store or meeting people through extracurriculars or meeting people in classes. That's all, you know, great natural forms of communication. But then there's also all these rules that surround texting, Snapchatting, and Instagram DMing. It's relevant, I feel, to touch on this, especially in this generation and especially after COVID, because a lot of people rely on these methods of communication to keep a lot of their relationships alive. And that's not just talking about friendships and and romantic relationships, but just in general, a lot of the ways in which we receive news and we receive updates and just the way that the world kind of works is through these little screens that we all carry around in our pockets. And it's tough because these social media platforms, I guess, specifically are formulated to connect us, but also to detriment us at the same time, depending on the way that you utilize them. For example, it can be a big plus to know when somebody's opened your message or when they've Um, replied or when they're typing or when they're in the chat typing bitmoji we thank for that Um, and it's great to kind of know when people have also screenshotted and all these other rules but at the same time it really plays into our anxious minds and I say that because there's a lot of friends of mine and even I catch myself doing this where if they don't text back in the same amount of bubbles that I do, or if they don't text back as fast as I do, I want to mirror that almost and start to be like, okay, 
they're texting me back every five minutes. So I'm going to do that. They're texting me three messages at a time. I'm going to text them that like that. And it sets a sort of constraint, uh, multiple constraints along the way. And it just keeps building. And by the time that you actually get to a point where you know this person enough, maybe it's been too long or maybe they're bored of it or maybe you ghost each other or, you know, there's so many other outcomes. But for the most part, most people end up in situationships and not fulfilling relationships through developing uh, communication through these platforms. Along with this, there's if they leave you undelivered for too long, they're not interested. This in itself is also very toxic because on one hand, it's it can be somebody is ignoring you and they aren't interested in you and they don't want to be accountable for having to communicate at the time, which can be a positive and a negative. But at the same time, it could also be genuinely because they're busy and they have other things to do. And there's just so many other outcomes that are associated with this one thing, but we all do jump to the worst conclusions. Number three of this list is if their snap score goes up, but they're not snapping you back. (laughs) Again, as much as that can be very telling, um, because obviously they're communicating with other people, but they're not communicating with you. It can also mean maybe that they're nervous and they need some time to process before snapping you back. Maybe they don't want to talk about everything over Snapchat. Maybe they want to talk more in person. So they're subconsciously or consciously timing the conversation so that there's things to talk about the next time you see each other. There's all these different things that play into uh, this sort of action, but our initial thoughts are they're not interested. And lastly, if their snap maps are off, then they're hiding something from you. There has been a scenario with my friend where this case was true. They, her and this guy had a thing and they, you know, they were hooking up. They had sort of a unspoken exclusive friends with benefits situation, but they weren't dating or anything. There was this one night where she had messaged him saying, hey, where are you? I haven't seen you all night or you haven't been answering my messages. And she realized that she couldn't see his snap maps anymore. And she was freaking out about that a bit. And I was kind of like, that is a bit suspicious. The fact that after you pointed that out, his snap maps went off. And when we talked to another friend, our friend still had him on her map. But my friend who had this thing with him couldn't see him on the map anymore so clearly that wasn't intentional I don't want to tell you where I am but you can also flip that to the other side and say that it is an invasion of privacy in some ways to have somebody know and assume things without even asking first and just putting up I guess an initial wall before you're actually able to communicate and just talk about it. And it can be argued that you can choose to put your snap maps off initially, but for some reason it's this cultural thing and there is a certain convenience, again, with social media that if you have your snap maps on, then your friends do know that you're safe or your friends do know where you are. 
and you know where they are, you know where the best house parties are, there's all these other positives. But when it comes to dating, it's not necessarily a plus. And lastly, this does not relate directly to texting, but it does relate to communication, is when you meet somebody at a club or a bar, and I'm mentioning this because along with sliding into people's DMs and dating apps and meeting through mutual friends, the last of the most common dating ways or ways to meet people that I've noticed at university is to meet them at a club or a bar. It's great. You know, you're having fun. You meet somebody, I don't want to say at their prime, but you do meet somebody in a more relaxed state where they're just forgetting everything. They're looking their best, particularly women. I do beef with the fact that men wear t-shirts and sweatpants to the club or bar. But I also acknowledge at the same time that women can do the same thing. It's just societally not as accepted. Uh, Another topic for another time. (laughs) But yeah, even if they're flirting with you at a club or a bar, we don't know what their intentions are, whether that's to hook up or to eventually talk and 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 maybe go on a date or maybe they're not even single in the first place and they're just trying to have a fun night which depending on how them how they're them and their partner have discussed that that might be fine with them but that might not be fine with you it's just a breeding ground for confusion if you're looking for something a bit more serious and that isn't communicated So from that segment, I'm sure that you can gather I'm not an advocate or rather a disadvocate of hookup culture. I think that it can be fun, but for the most part, it inevitably chips away at your self-confidence because it makes you feel disposable. I know that's a large generalization, okay? I know that not everybody views hookup culture that way, and some people do find it quite empowering to be able to have one-night stands, and I I think in general it takes a lot of confidence to even get into that situation or scenario in the first place and have it be a regular thing. Uh, but for the majority of other people that have experienced some sort of hookup or have participated in hookup culture, it does make you feel disposable or like um, not necessarily devalues your body, but it um, is less of a significant connection that you're making with somebody than you would be making if you were to hook up with somebody that you had a prior friendship with or are interested in or are dating, etc., etc. It's quite backwards to me that it's normal to know someone's naked body before you even know their favorite color. And yeah, this is what happens at university all the time. I'm going to pause here and reframe this argument for you though, and say that I do identify as being demisexual. Being demisexual, for those of you who don't know what that means, that means that I only am sexually attracted to people once I form an emotional connection with them, whether that's friendship, whether we go on a couple dates, that sort of thing. So I don't experience the sexual attraction 
that would lead most people to have a hookup after a night out at the bar or a night out at the club. However, pulling from experiences from my peers and just kind of observing the grounds that are university, I do believe that most people, if you aren't a romantic, are eventually looking for something of substance, whether whether or not you're demisexual or if you're just any other type of sexual. (laughs) So I do think that this applies in this case and that there is a toxicity associated with hookup culture. I talked to a guy this summer about this sort of dating formula that my friends told me when I first entered university, which is this. You meet at a party, you hook up, then you have each other's Snapchats and you're talking for two weeks. Then you start liking each other, then you start dating. That is the formula that I heard from about 12 of my male friends in first year university. And so I asked this guy over the summer, it's a bit of a red flag, green flag analysis question, uh, if you will. And the idea, I also brought up the idea that girls can hook up with who they want, but guys can date who they want. Now, if you also haven't heard of this, it's something that's been circulating on TikTok and Instagram where girls can hook up with who they want because they in consensual cases, will choose a guy that they want to have sex with. Oh, sorry, my bad. (laughs) Will choose a guy that they want to have sex with, heterosexually speaking, for the night, and the guy will most likely not say no, versus when a girl wants to date a guy that maybe they've been hooking up with, it's usually the guy that chooses whether or not they want to make it official. I do think that that is a bit messed up, but... Most people that I know do think like that. And I will say that my sample set is not particularly diverse, especially because I go to a very white university here in Canada. But at the same time, it is something where, hmm, maybe there's a reason for this. It was honestly refreshing to hear when he said that the rule is for immature people who are just trying to figure it out and that relationships need to be chosen by both parties involved. Hearing it out loud, it sounds pretty self-explanatory, but I will say that when he said it's a rule for immature people, it made me think that there are a lot of other things, just like we were talking about texting rules earlier, that people abide by because we all aren't sure again, of what we want with dating. And it's almost easier and it takes away the accountability when we say, this is the unspoken rule or this is the trend. So I can't feel bad about myself if the guy doesn't want to date me or if the girl doesn't want to hook up with me because it's their choice. It was never mine. In general, we all know that it takes two to tango in a relationship. However, At this age, again, dating in your 20s, the tango seems to be a lot more complicated and it seems like we're all dancing to a bit of our own tune. 
You would think that dating friends or mutuals would be the easiest out of all these cases. And you would think that I would agree with that being demisexual and all. But for the most part, I think I speak for most people when I say that we're all a bit too afraid to fuck up the friendship. And that's not far off from the truth in some cases. It's really hard to figure out, number one, platonic versus romantic attraction versus lust. And if the trade-off is worth it, if things will change, if one person gets more or less attached, there's all these little side bubbles. And while a relationship with a friend could be an incredible life-changing, you stay together forever type of vibe, However, it can also change your relationship for a more negative turn and you don't go back to where you were before. I would like to argue that if you would regret not doing it more than you would regret having done it, then it would be better to give it a shot. It simplified that message means rather based off of experience than projection now there are some cases where it is better to just go with your gut and not give something a shot if you absolutely know that circumstances will not allow for example age difference cultural difference um career goals separate values that sort of thing But I truly do believe that if you are friends with somebody and if you are selecting your friends, I don't want to say properly, but at this point being in our 20s, most of our friends do align with us in terms of values and what we respect and what we need in our lives outside of routine, of course. And for this, I'm thinking more so towards maybe political, maybe views on social issues such as abortion and human rights, Um, probably some aligned interests, and the list goes on. In my own experiences, I have had many entanglements, I will say, with my friends. As much as they would like to make fun of me, it is something that I would not take back having asked out many of my friends or having explored those opportunities because it's not too far-fetched to develop feelings for people that you're around all the time. The law of proximity and the laws of momentum play perfectly into the whole friends to lovers trope that I'm talking about. And you Wattpad fans know all about the friends to lovers trope. It's healthier than the enemies to lovers, I will argue. The law of proximity, for those of you who don't know, states exactly what it means. And that is the more that you're around somebody, the more likely that you are to develop a deep connection and romantic feelings. And the law of momentum states that, especially within specifically dating scenarios, the closer spaced, uh, the more closely spaced your first initial dates are, the more likely you are to be successful at developing that connection. Because 
if you were to leave more than a week or two between dates, that gives more time for anxiety to fester, for texting to drop off, and for all of these other distractions in life to get in the way. Again, that's a big generalization, but for the most part, it is consistent with a lot of people. Men and women already think quite differently. Again, speaking heterosexually. There's a TikTok that I watched once which explained that women, in terms of these boxes, let's say we have boxes A, B, and C in our brains. When women are pulling conclusions or putting together conclusions about uh, some sort of issue that they're having or particularly a guy that's in their life, they'll pull facts from box A and box B and put them together and make a new conclusion. Maybe this is box D, but then, oh no, like some of box D can also pour into box C and this makes a new conclusion. We mix and match facts and events in order to come up with conclusions versus for men, their boxes are supposedly separated and they don't mix a lot of things. You know, if they have a car box, it's a car box. If they have a love box, it's a love box. And a lot of the times these multiple boxes don't get put together to come up with conclusions. That's a very rudimentary example of how men and women think differently, but it is a very good visual to understand how it can be difficult to move from being friends to being lovers from either side of the spectrum because we both interpret attraction differently. And besides interpreting actions differently, people put up smoke signals, I'll say, left and right, whether they know it or not, which can be doubly confusing. So all this to say, with the differences in how we think and not knowing what we want and smoke signals and do I date my friend, do I not date my friend, and the texting rules and all these other things that are subconscious, almost programmed rules in for dating in your 20s. How do we make dating work at this age? If there was one thing that my therapist and my best friend have taught me, sentence structure-wise, I will clarify that these are two different people for the most part, is that we need to know what we want before we go around asking for other people's opinions. You don't necessarily need to have a whole black and white checklist like in Beauty and the Briefcase or in all these rom-coms where there's this perfect person out there that will meet all your values and they turn out to be the opposite or they turn out to meet every single one of those things on the checklist and more. But it is helpful to come up with some non-negotiable values and those are things that form who you are at your core. While our preferences can change over time, these values will most likely stay with you. These Values are things that, after all, they're formed from childhood. They're formed from family. They're formed from influence. They're formed from childhood friendships and trauma and all these other things. And they really do form the foundation of who we are. And it might seem fun to compromise those every once in a while for the plot. And we're allowed to do that. We have a very long lifespan, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, and while compromising those might be fun for the plot, 
it can turn an already confusing movie into an even more confusing one. Which, for context, your love life would be the movie in this analogy. In order to figure out my values and how those might tie into a future significant other, my therapist had me do this exercise and determine how, firstly, what my values are and, you know, the sources of those and where those come from and how that might apply specifically to a romantic interest. And I think this exercise is particularly interesting because a lot of the time when you ask people for their values, they're like family, they're like empathy, honesty, and those are all values. But how do you specifically transfer that to a romantic partner? Those are all things that are very important in most relationships. However, it is important to figure out how specifically those things should be showcased for you to show you love when you are dating someone. The first example of the values that are in my own set is adventure. I love to explore and grow and learn as with most people. And the spirit is fundamental to how I operate in the world. So when I figured out that adventure was one of my values, I projected that and realized that I want someone who can push me to my limits while still understanding my need for comfort. And there's a balance there, right? Because it's someone that encourages me and inspires me to try new things and pushes me to my own personal limits while still respecting the fact that I need the comfort of things that I have already experienced before. To go along with adventure, my second value is having a balance of spontaneity and home. This is, to me, someone who I would feel both comforted by, but also lit up and inspired by. It's somebody that I can come home to and feel like I don't need to speak, but I know that they're okay with that and that I'm okay with that. And somebody that just, it doesn't feel unnatural to just exist together without any sort of prompt or thing to pull us into a conversation. While also somebody that is spontaneous and will keep me on my toes and make the relationship a bit new every day. Thirdly is the value of support. Support in general is the string that ties us to all of our close relationships. And looking into romantic relationships, this is someone who would be unconditionally supportive of my dreams and my goals while still being honest and uh, giving feedback where I would be able to be pushed to become the best version of myself. So it's a healthy kind of support. Number four is having a humor and a serious balance because everybody wants the funny person in their life, right? Like life is already hard enough. So if you're going to keep somebody with you, it might as well be somebody who makes that shit easier. However, I also want somebody who can have those serious conversations and who, when it comes down to it, 
they can simmer down, get down to my level, and talk through difficult moments. Number five is, of course, friendship. This, to me, looks like someone who's willing to take it slow and get to know my mental before my physical self. And number six is a lake jumper. This would be someone who reminds me that it's okay to care as much as I do because they themselves also care just as much, whether that's for me or for friends or for family or for their work or for whatever. It's somebody that is, and I call it lake jumper because it's not somebody that's just jumping ponds, but it's also not somebody that jumps oceans because the whole idea, the whole um, romanticization of somebody jumping oceans for me, for you seems to me like it's almost toxic and you lose yourself in that. When I reframe it more as lake jumper, it's somebody that is willing to put in the work and and go the distance, but not in a distance where they are detrimenting their own mental health and their own uh, self. On top of being caring, as caring as I am, they would also do everything they can to be on good terms with my family and go out of the way for me when it counts. While defining your values can help to sort of fence in and determine your self-worth and how you want to approach romantic relationships, the best way to learn is through experiences. As Kitty tells Largeen into All the Boys I've Loved Before, the Netflix classic, my personal favorite movie, you can't go around writing love letters all the time. You've got to tell people how you feel when you feel it. And for the most most of us, even if we aren't physically writing love letters, the metaphor remains the same. We can't go around daydreaming of the perfect scenario and being in our heads or maybe dating somebody but being afraid to ask them for what we want or being afraid to ask them to meet some sort of standard because we want them to eventually figure it out themselves. If you want something to happen, you have to ask for it. And don't quote me on that exact quote, because I'm not sure if it's unholy accurate to the manuscript, but the gist is still there. Really, we've got to ask ourselves, what's the worst that could happen if you ask that one person out or if you go on that one date, if you tell your friend that you like them or even if you just give anything a shot and see what happens. This can extend beyond romantic relationships really where what's the worst that could happen? You'll really, you'll either get clarity or you'll move forward into the unknown in future scenarios with a touch more certainty than you would have before. Really, it sounds like a win-win to me. As much as this episode began in disorder, it really all circles back to this message. In a world where no one knows what they want, I'm going to extend that beyond your 20s, 
because I work with a bunch of 30 year olds. Okay. Side note. And I've asked them, what's the, what's the secret to your current relationship? You've been with this person. You're really happy. You recently got married. You're having kids. Like they're kind of all in their early thirties. And the main thing that they've all told me is that we're all faking it just like we did in our twenties. And you just keep faking it until you get to a point where I'm comfortable with not knowing what I'm doing. And it's been so long that I almost feel like I know what I'm doing. So yeah, in a world where no one really knows what they want, do what you can to figure out what you want. All you can control in in life are your thoughts and your actions. And in general, I want to say that the most beautiful thing about life you know, continuing from this last message, is that the path to self-discovery is really endless. Even if your preferences change overnight, or you discover one day that pickles might not taste as good as they used to, double entendre for you, there's nothing wrong with that. And I did mention this earlier, the fact that we hopefully have a long lifespan, but Googling it, I am certain when I say that the average human lifespan is 73 years. So that's a damn long time to be worried about what people think or to not push your limits and to seek out the mysteries and the intricacies that lie within you and your psyche. I mean, in the end, isn't that what dating is? It's figuring out how people work and seeking out the mystery that is you know, person A, person B, relationship A, relationship B, and figuring out other people. So shouldn't it be intuitive to also solve our mystery bit by bit too, as we're going through these questions and these relationship developments in our lives? I got a bit existential in that last segment. However, I think that that is food for thought that all of us should consume and think about for the next couple years of our early to late 20s. Those are all my thoughts for now. And thank you for coming to take the time to chat with me about What I want to say is the most zero-world problem in today's society, but nevertheless, it is a very relevant and widespread one. And please tune in next time for another episode of Truth or Delina, because I can't wait to chat again soon. If you have any suggestions for future content that you would like me to chat about, please just shoot me a message or find me on Facebook somehow or something. And yeah, happy, happy weekend.